everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Stone Genius. It's Ro. You know me. I'm the stone genius. I'm often stoned. I'm always a genius. I am super excited about today's show. We have a guest on the show, and I am I am super interested in to hear what they have to say about this topic. Uh, I want to introduce to the audience Christopher Allen Ellingsworth. Uh, he is the founder of the uh, nonprofit, uh, the foundation of a new world.com. Welcome to the show, Christopher. Thanks for having me, Ro. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about this. So we, we got connected and y- your background was you have a story, um, and how it relates to God and the universe. And I, I, I don't think I want to say much more than that because I, I want to hear. So I, I want to kind of hear your background of who you are and then what kind of led you to this to this point in your life. Christopher, are you there? Sorry about that, everyone. I have Christopher back on the line. Christopher, hello. Hello. Uh, yeah, sorry about that bad connection there. But as far as my background, um, I don't really know much about my background. I just, for some reason, one day when I was about 18 years old, I had suddenly decided to drop my knees and pray to God for a purpose in life and a reason to live. Uh, I suppose you could say depression kind of led me to it, but for whatever reason, that's what I did. Um, now, did you grow was, up in a religious family going to church at all? Or, uh, any, I mean, I, so in, I, I apologize and I apologize to the listeners too. I say church. So when I reference, th- and I've said this before in the podcast, so I grew up in a Christian, Protestant Christian family. Uh, I go to a Methodist church. Um, I believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God, but I also say if an alien lands and comes out and looks like what we think Jesus, and he's like, no, I'm Jesus. And I would be like, okay. And I would just be, I would be okay with that. It's not going to break me. So I grew up in a Christian family. I mean, we still go to church every Sunday. I have led our church golf league, even though I have what they term a potty mouth. Um, yeah. So, but so that, that's my bad. So I grew up in a church, but I feel like it was almost like the constraints of like, I told, I've asked my, my parents in the past, you know, Say we find out that there are aliens. How would you deal with that? And they're like, oh, there aren't aliens. They just can't even fathom that. So that's how I grew up. What what kind of so what, is it religious at all for you growing up? Uh, my background, I mean, my my family was, you know, we were religious, but uh, you know, we didn't go to church that often. Um, I remember going to church most often as a kid, and you know, that was like I suppose I was young and you know, mom could put me on the church bus on Wednesdays and Sundays and, you know, they take me for a while. Right. So I got to go to church and, you know, that was the type of uh, thing that was going on there. So you did have, so you did have an introduction. I mean, you you were familiar somewhat with the Bible and, and, and that. So, so it was, absolutely okay. Okay. Um, I think like my mother was more of the type that she believed, but at the same time, she wasn't, she didn't believe in all the dogma. Um, I remember she would tell stories as a kid, you know, she would talk about how in the old days, the church, you know, they, most people couldn't read. Right. So most people, most of the peasants, they only heard stories based on what the preachers or whatever you want to call them. Right. The monks would tell them. 
and occasionally they would try to change things in the Bible to the way they wanted it. And sometimes they would get away with this, and sometimes they would get caught, and people would be like, no, that's not what it used to say. You're changing it, and people would get mad, and of course they would change it back. So that was – I think that's the type of environment I grew up in. So there was a belief in it, but not so much that every last detail is exactly what they're telling you. Right. So you're not – there are some people that believe that the Bible was like – like th someone just sat down, basically closed their eyes and their hand just moved and it was written. I believe yeah, that it was written by man. So, so absolutely. I, and, and that's kind of, cause, and that's one of my things as a genius, we, we tend to ask a <laughs> lot. I mean, we, we tend to ask a lot more questions. Like my mom is, we've had this debate about Cain and Abel and she goes, well, that was the first murder. I go, actually it wasn't. And she goes, what do you mean? She goes, Cain killed Abel. I go, yeah, but they didn't know it was murder. I mean, if that's never happened before. You wouldn't understand, you know, if you've only seen people fall asleep and then get up the next morning, I don't think you would understand that. And then I think the next part that throws me off is I thought Cain left and went like to the next village over, which everyone just kind of forgets about that. There's other people around. And, and so that's the type of, because my mom will dismiss things like that. Any conflict she'll dismiss, and I just want to dive deeper. I, I'm not so concerned with one way or the other. I would just like to know more information. It sounds like that's kind of where you got to at 18. Yeah, um, and the, the prayer itself was kind of random. Like I, I had no plans of going into it or anything. It just, I just did it, and I went with what happened after just kind of went with it. Um, and so what happened? So it was 18, you, around 18 years old, and and you have this prayer. What Was it an immediate reaction, or did it take some time to manifest? What what happened after that? Okay, so basically you have an 18-year-old alone in his room in the dark, drops to his knees, places – I mean, I place my face on the ground, like, like you would see a Muslim praying, right? Right. I mean, face down, everything down on the ground, prayed, asked for a purpose in life and a reason to live. And uh, as far as immediately or not, it was fairly immediately. I uh, I heard something inside my head, and it was a question, what purpose would you want? Now, the, my first thought is, did I just hear something, or am I just thinking to myself? Right. Right? That's my absolute first thought. Is this real, or am I just going to ha have a conversation with myself? I don't know. But I decided to just give it a chance and go with it, right? Right. So I sat there for a moment, and I thought, okay, let's just say this is God. I'm going to ask him for a purpose. What, what, what kind of purpose is worthy of God? And at the time, the most recent thing that came to mind was a conversation with a girlfriend I had at the time, and that was about whether or not we believed God was real. And believed in all the stories and believed in everything they taught us and yada, yada, yada. And she didn't believe and I had my doubts and so on and so forth. So the purpose that came to mind was that, you know, there's a lot of people in the world who don't believe in you. And if you could tell me the truth about you, then maybe, you know, right now you sound like a fairy tale to most people. Right. But if you gave me the truth, maybe it would make more sense and you can actually unite these people that are fighting against each other over what God is. And you can unite the people that don't believe in God at all, and you can kind of bring them together and try to help sort out those problems. And that was, you know, so I asked, you know, for the truth about God. And the voice, you know, responded. And I said, so you want the knowledge of God? And at this point, I'm kind of 
or again wary like that wasn't really what i was thinking kind of right. warned it differently but okay right and he said this is where the voice really starts like like i said initially i wasn't sure if this is my own voice i'm just going to have a conversation with myself or right. this was coming from somewhere else right this is kind of where it starts going off track well then the voice responds and says but what if you knew what the devil was if you knew what the devil was would you destroy it so like i said whether or not i'm having a conversation with myself this is where it's starting to go off the rails right um i don't know how you would respond to that but i just kind of sat back and thought for a second you know destroying the devil that sounds sounded to me at the time like trying to destroy a dragon right right, right. what would you need to kill a dragon i mean the only thing i could think of to even try to comprehend this question and the first thing I think of is some knight trying to slay a dragon and like he's a powerful magical sword or something. And like I said, I'm not even sure if this is real, but since you just came out of nowhere with the, you know, what if you knew what the devil was, would you right. destroy it? You're kind of going way off there. So I just said, you know what? I would need the power of God to destroy the devil. And then the voice says, okay, so you want the power and knowledge of God. At this point, like I said, again, this is way farther than I ever would have anticipated going. Sounds crazy. But I say, yeah, that's <laughs> that's what I'm asking for. Right. So the voice again responds, if you want that, you want the power and knowledge of God, then you have to sell your soul to the devil. Again, off the rails from where I would ever think my own voice would go. And at that point, I felt what felt like a second presence. I don't, I don't know. Like, uh, if you could, if you could think of the voice that you're speaking to as having a certain vibe, right? A certain energy about it. Imagine a separate, different feeling energy, and asking you a question if you wanted to sell your soul, right? So I sat down and started thinking about this, and the first thought that came to mind was, if you were to sell your soul to the devil for the ability to destroy the devil, would that like be some sort of self-sacrifice something where you would earn your soul back and i'm trying to I'm trying to think about this right? right well when i asked that question i heard nothing no response nothing and i started no direction think, yes. no no feeling associated with with the question being asked nothing yeah, nothing okay the first time as off the wall as the other questions were, I got responses. For the first time, I didn't get one, and I thought to myself, yes. And I realized that for the first time, I had actually tried to think to myself, to try to think an answer to a question where before it just came. Right. So I stopped and sat down and thought about it again. Okay. So either this is real, and perhaps I might actually be risking my soul, but at the same time be risking it for a good cause. Or this isn't real, and I'm just speaking empty words into the darkness, right? Right. Kind of the two options there. So I thought about it for a minute, and I decided, yes, I will do that. I will sell my soul to the devil for the power and knowledge of God so that I can destroy the devil. At that point, that second energy, that second vibe, I felt it flee away, and the, the first one came back and immediately started speaking. And said the devil is nothing more than a hollow metal for all his promises are as hollow and empty as he is one day you'll be faced with a choice between hollow metal and open doors hollow metal is the way the devil and the open door is the way to 
and kind of cut off there. And at that point, be honest, I, I was trying to ask questions. I was trying to think because there's so much being just said all at once. I was trying to think and trying to ask questions and couldn't interrupt the voice. It was going where it wanted. And how much time had passed from the initial prayer to this? Is there, Are we, we still on the same day on this? You said yeah. quickly. Yeah, this okay. was Almost five, immediate. ten minutes. Okay, okay. Five, ten minutes. There was some time I sat there and had to think. Right. Like, like would I do this or think about, like, okay, destroying the devil? Like, what, you know, uh, I kind of had to think about the responses for a minute, but, like, yeah, this is like maybe 10, 15 minutes. Tops. Okay, okay. And at that point, like I said, the last thing he said was, you know, the, the devil is nothing more than a hollow metal. And the first thing come to mind is gold, but like I said, it just kept talking. Or just kept, I just kept hearing the words. Right. Yeah, for all his promises are as hollow and empty as he is, one day you'll be faced with a choice between hollow metal and open doors. And of course, I'm trying to say the open door, but like, I guess it's not that easy. Or, you know, that wasn't the point. Right. Um, so of course at that point you know the voice faded away and i felt i don't know how but i was laying in bed by this point um i I felt energized like lifted up like laying on top of the bed as opposed to in the bed that type of feeling okay and fell asleep and uh the next day i remember waking up going to school and like it was like nothing happened and it was I don't know, by the next spring, the uh, question of what was God had reentered my mind and just circled and circled and circled. And it was riddles that I'd heard from this place and that place that led me to the answer. And one day after, you know, I was done with school and I was working a job, I was sitting in a bar and I realized I was holding the answer to the question, what is God, right in my hand, and I was staring at it. And that and was? Water. It, okay, wait. You gotta have to kind of back up here. I'll tell you the riddle that led me to this answer. Okay. And then I'll tell you the a lot of the background to try to explain it. It sounds simple, and it, for decades I've spent looking into this, and I can't outthink it. I can't deny it. So the initial riddle it actually came from a movie. I don't know if you remember the movie uh, Stigmata from late nineties. I do. Okay, you remember the uh, there was a riddle: the kingdom of heaven is not in buildings of wooden stone; it's inside you and all around you. Um, wait, it's inside you and all around you. It's like lift the stone, or no, split a log and you'll find me. Lift the stone and I am there. Okay. He who understands the meaning of this world words will not taste death, but will have eternal life. Right. Okay. That mm -hmm. was that was the, that was the riddle, and it's based on the Gospel of Saint Thomas. And it's if you actually read the Gospel of Saint Thomas, it's a little, they kind of mixed it up a little bit to make it more poetic. But yeah, it's all there. So, it was that riddle that led me to it. It's like, okay, what is inside you, all around you? You can't see it. It's inside you. It's all around you. You split a log, you'll find it. If you lift a stone, it's there, right? Right. It's water. Like you lift a stone, there's always water underneath the stone. It's right. always wet. Um. You know, you split a log, of course, you're going to find water there. What is it that's inside us and all around us that we can't even see? It's it's water. I mean, you look at a cloud, you, you see it, but you don't really see it. it. If you right. ever hold up a droplet of water, like I was holding the glass in the bar, I was holding the glass of water and realized you, you, you see through it. You, you can't see water. Right. You see the, the pollutants inside of it, or you see the light reflecting off of it around it, or the shadows as it goes deeper like the ocean. Right. But you don't really see it. And... Based on that, I started looking through the entire Bible and looking through the world, and honestly, scientifically speaking, 
the world starts with water. I mean, they, they already know that from as far as they can tell, life started in warm pools of water. That's a scientific explanation for how all this began. Warm pools of water with all the nutrients and everything else floating around and a spark of lightning or whatever just ignited and started the creation of life. You look at the beginning of the Bible and you see that from the very beginning, you have just this ball of the earth. Then there's water and then there's the spirit of God over the waters and there's beginning of life. There's the first sunrise, the first formation of clouds in the air, the, the firmament, you know, the separation of clouds going up in the air and all that. Then you have grass growing, fish in the sea, land animals, and eventually man. It's very, very in the order of, you know, the scientific evolution right. aspect of it. And what what you really have is that the truth about God isn't that he created all existence. The universe itself is just existence, but rather he created us. And you take that and you actually start looking through the Bible and you have just instances after instances after instances where you see it. I mean, uh, one very simple one. I took you from the dust to the dust you shall return, right? Everyone's heard that. It's a popular one, right? Look at the dust. What What is it in the dust that isn't, or the, what is it in our body that is in the dust or is not in the dust and is in the dust? And the one thing that is not in the dust is water. You look at the DNA strand. It's made up of carbon, nitrogen, phosphorus, and H2O. Those are the basic four parts of DNA. Um, and all three of the other parts are in the dust of the earth. Right. The one thing by definition can't be in the dust is is water itself. And I mean, that right there by itself might seem small and like a, you know, oh, it's coincidental. I mean, you look at things like uh, First John, what is it? First John 5, 7 and 5, 8. You start to find things that are really point blank. Um, this actually gives a comparison in these, in these two verses of um, John or First John. It's given a comparison between the heavenly and the earthly and it says that like water blood and spirit are all on earth and they agree as one and then god the holy spirit and the word are all in heaven and they're all as one right right like in two verses you get two parallels where it compares like water and blood and spirit and god this parallel in them all like earthly and heavenly right i mean it's kind of hard to interpret that as anything else other than you're comparing, literally you're paralleling God and blood with water and spirit. So you see these secrets all over the Bible where the answer is right there in front of you that water itself is sentient. And scientifically speaking, really the biggest jump isn't that we're created or is that we're created by water and not just of water. And there's really a lot going on there. Right. So when you had this epiphany in the bar, what did you know what to do with this? Did you did you say, okay, now now I've had this epiphany? Because sometimes I do that. I'll have an epiphany, but then I don't know what's next. I I, I have no idea where <laughs> what to do, how to get that product to market, how to tell the story. I, I don't know the delivery system for whatever epiphany. So once you had the epiphany in the bar with a glass of water, what came next? Well, you know, I guess, like you said, it was exactly that problem of what to do and how to tell people and why would anyone listen to you? So who like, was the first the, person the that questions. you told? Uh, my mother. 
And of course, I think the first thing she did was replied, you mean like Poseidon? <laughs> like, <laughs> like God of water? No, Poseidon's the God of the water, God of water. I'm like, no, 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 not like it. Not like it's not like the old stuff where you have a God of water and God of fire right. and God of this and God of that. No, no, no. Like it itself is like, it's alive. And it's the thing that we've been referring to as God the entire time. Like, so that was my first, I think, interaction trying to tell people. And it was something I kind of kept quiet for a long time because I wasn't really sure. Like I said, how do you tell people and have them believe you? Because you try to tell people and we're like, oh, yeah, you know the truth about God. Uh-huh. Right. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me one. I'm, I'd be glad to hear it. Um, why and I've always thought that was strange with religious people that like – the story of Mary they're okay with, but if they heard some, or let's say Moses, if they said, uh, oh yeah, Moses, he talked to a burning bush. And if I said, hey, I talked to a burning bush, they'd be like, remember, you're a stoner. I mean, so, you know, they, they, they try to, they, they try to take that, they try to take that out, you know, and try not to believe that. So, so when you started going to this, what was the reaction you got from people? Uh, actually, I got some of them very similar to that. I've tried to go to preachers and stuff, and there, there's actually more and more building on the story. That um, doesn't end here; like it, it builds and builds. But I've actually gone to like preachers and pastors and so on, and like they'll look at me and like, "Do you do drugs?" <laughs> like that's one of their first questions. And isn't that weird that they they wouldn't? <laughs> I, I mean, it's almost like a defensive posture because oh, absolutely it, it, and that i just have always thought that's weird that I, I i would think they'd be like if someone came to me and, and and told me that they had talked to a burning bush i'd probably be like you were on drugs but what did god say i mean i, I would be okay i i think you could probably be on drugs and talk to god at the same time um well, i think if you actually look through the bible it's 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 a it's usually pretty common for those to be similar stories that people I know. You know say they talk to god and I mean, maybe during like the highlight of the Hebrew times, people were more, you know, open to actually believe that you spoke to God. Right. And they gave you a bit more credit. But like, you know, you talk about like Noah, no one believes him. That was, according to the story, no one right. believes him and so on and so forth. So, you know, you have that type of thing in hindsight's twenty twenty, of course. Yeah. You know, after, and you, know, you know, there's some great miracle. It's easy to see. Oh, yeah. Okay. And just like – so here's another saying is being early is the same as being wrong because no one wants to believe you. So even if you're yeah. the first and you're like you, – you introduced this story 20 – you introduced this now and 20 years from now, this is mainstream knowledge, then no one goes back – I mean it, that's, that's the thing that's unfortunate is sometimes no matter how right you can be or how sound your thesis is – People just don't want to believe it. So the the pushback that you had with how did you get through that pushback with religious leaders that you spoke to? Well, I, I you know I started realizing I was going to need to formulate a plan on how to you know what am I going to do with this and how am I going to bring this out and how am I going to get people to actually listen to it? And uh, I guess it it really connects with the other part of the purpose, I, I suppose. Like the destroying of the devil purpose which like i said initially my first response to the devil is nothing more than a hollow metal was gold but of course it took me some time to try to actually start figuring out um what all that meant and what it actually how it translates into what we're actually seeing in the world today what's happening and why and what can actually be done about it or if not like literally the destruction of the planet 
right. <laughs> in the name of the devil, which, okay, well, I guess we'll get to that. Um, I do know that it was after, after I like, figured out that whole water thing uh, that I actually started having um, a series of dreams. Um, oh, I do want to say one thing about as far as water being God, just a couple more tidbits. Yes. Tidbits of information that you know can kind of help support that. Uh, you, you see living water being used pretty much all throughout the Bible. You also see, let's say you brought up Moses, um, whenever the Hebrews exited Egypt and they, you know, built a tabernacle and they started doing their first you know, sacrifices and whatnot, right. a cloud came down from heaven and filled the tabernacle. And it was so much that everyone had to flee this temple they built because they couldn't see because it was full of cloud. Their interpretation, their their thoughts were that God was somewhere in the cloud, that his spirit must be in the cloud somewhere. But you right. literally look and you have this cloud where God is supposed to be. Right? Right. Like the secret answer, you, it's like not seeing the forest for the trees, that type of situation. And it's again and again all through there that they keep having that situation. Uh, when Moses is sitting on top of the mountain talking to God, there's a cloud on the mountain that is thundering while he is talking to God. That's like what, that's what's written in the book. When Jesus is on top of the mountain, he has all these followers with him, and like there's a cloud, and God's voice comes from the cloud, and he says, this is my son, which I'm very proud. If you keep reading the chapter, like right after that, it says the other people that were there just heard a cloud thunder, right? Right. So there's those that actually heard, this is my son, which I'm very proud, and the rest of them just heard a cloud thunder. So like there's all these things pointing towards water. Water, water, our creator itself is right. what we think is the simplest thing, but it's actually, I guess there's more to it than that. That thing that we call spirit right in front of our eyes. Um, you know, and that's, it's interesting because you, so the way when people ask me to describe God, I'll either say so. Generally, I'll tell them there is either there is either no God or or no being or there has to be a God or or someone controlling the universe, or there's no way I meet my wife. And I'm hundred percent positive about that. There's, I was a male whore before I met my wife. Uh, I there's no way she should have ever settled for me. There there's many things. So I always <laughs> point to her. But I go, I tell people if you want to know. When I feel God, it's when I walk outside on a warm, sunny day. The, the feeling of the warmth on my face is how I feel and interpret God. Because I, I know here in Kansas, there'll be days where you can be outside and the, you'll be bundled up, but the, the, the side of your face that's facing the sun is so warm, and the side of you, it's like the two sides of the moon. It's like one's very hot and one's very cold. And, and that's how I feel, like the absence of heat. So I usually use the sun, but it's also, I love to just stand in the shower and just have the warm water run over me. Because that, I, I, that's, I feel like I, I don't want to say my true self, but I, I feel like I, I'm relaxed there. I can think there. I'm usually, you know, everything, all other sounds are drowned out by the sound of the water. So I may use that as my, instead of the sunlight, I may use, and I just want people to think about me standing in the shower, I guess, too. So I may use that story going forward. 
Yeah, now I got that image stuck in my head. Thank you. So. You're you're welcome. But but I mean, I, it, it is interesting that you mentioned. I mean, because like you said in um in your pitch to me that you were like, you know, give it a chance, and it it is very intriguing. I mean, I and once again, I told you pre hitting the record button that I'm fairly open, and if I'm trying to think of the movie where the water like comes to life or whatever. But anyway, if it came to life and said, Hey, I am God, I'd be like, cool. And I would absolutely have no problem with that because I, I, I do understand and can see your, your, your line of thought and and how you got to this. And that, that I say that about a lot of things that I, I don't really care. I, I care less about conclusions than I do more about the thought process. To how sound the, the thought process is. And, and this is, I mean, I, I'm very intrigued. So I, I'm glad that there's more to this story. But I mean, Actually, yeah, there, but, but I'm very intrigued by this. This, this. this is this is just as, as amazing as I thought it was going to be when we set this up. So thank you. <laughs> so so, so good. So so what's next? Um, well, actually, I was going to give you a couple more tidbits. Sure. <laughs> As far as you had mentioned the, 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 the sound of rushing water, that's one of those things that people describe quite often through the Old Testament is I heard the voice of the Lord like the sound of rushing waters or the sound of thunder and right. stuff like that, all those water references. Um, and another thing, let's just say if you're one of those that you believe everything was created by God, and there's no way to deter you from that thought that you know water couldn't be God because everything was created by God. Right. Well, if you actually read the Bible, you, like, you look in the very beginning of the Bible – like it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? That people read that and they assume that it means like before like the chapter even starts that he created everything. Well, in the end of the chapter, in the beginning of the second chapter, it says this is how he created the heavens and the earth. So taking that in mind, the first chapter is what that's referring to. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's what he's referring to or the book is referring to the first chapter, not sometime before the first chapter. So in the beginning of the first chapter, the earth is already there, right? Right. And then, of course, water is there. And then your first cycle with the sun, your first rain or your first clouds, rain, you know, grass, right. rain, trees, fish, land, animals, man. So taking that into context, that's what it's referring to. It's referring to the beginning of creation of earth. Or the earth as we know it, this Garden of Eden, I guess you could call it. So there's not really a story there about the creation of the universe. It's not there at all. Everything is earthbound. Everything begin everything is talking about is on the, the, the ground floor of Earth. Right. Yeah, there's no story there talking about, you know, whether it's a big bang or he placed each individual, you know, galaxy or anything like that. There, there, there's nothing about that other than, oh, there's stars up there up there. Right. You know, if the Earth was there from the beginning, then I think it's safe to assume the rest is there as well. So, anyway, and see, I think that's uh, a lot of. I think a lot of people skip over that. They don't. They don't think about that. They think that the that when they said in the beginning there was Earth, then they were like, oh well, they meant it was just created. That very as soon as I read that word, that's when it was created. Almost, you know what I mean, yeah. and so they're not taking it, and and so they're jumping past that point. So I I, I can totally get that, yeah. So I do I, I do see that, and and I can understand why there are people that that kind of jump over that and would do that, but they need not to, or should not. I think, 
I think as far as like, let's just say as far as the scientific aspect, when a lot of people who deny, uh, you know, scientific outlooks on things like evolution and so on, I think there's a, a certain fear that if the God that they were taught by the church and every detail in every way isn't true, then God isn't true. Right. That it couldn't be, you know, it couldn't differ, be altered or, you know, not exactly the story they know is the, the true story. And right. it's a fear that, well, if that part isn't true, what was the rest of it's true? What was just not true at all and wasted all my time? Right. So there's like a, the, the, the fear there that's kind of one of those problems. Yeah. And I mentioned uh, that, I mentioned that, uh, earlier with you that like, you know, if God came down and was an alien, I'd be like, okay, I get that. My, my parents, they couldn't even comprehend, they couldn't even acknowledge that that would even be a thing. Like even, okay, how about if it's a science fiction movie and then an alien comes and says they're got no, that wouldn't happen in a movie either. And so, but so you couldn't even get them to that starting point. So, so that's one thing about this is 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 getting everyone to that starting point to understand. You know, you know, it's very intriguing what you're saying. I will say. Yeah, it's kind of more of the God isn't you know can't be can't be like in one place at one time because. He's every, you know, all right. of it, all of us. More of a, uh, we come from the, the core. Imagine like a program, as if, you know, people were programs. There's a core program that started it all. That core program would be the, you know, of course, the simplest one, but that would be, you know, the original. I guess it would exist through all of them simultaneously and couldn't be any just particular one. It would no longer be God. Right. But anyway. Um, as the, uh, story progresses, um, it was after this, it was during the, the summer after this, that, uh, the dream started coming. It was actually six of them and I don't know, they're just very biblical in nature. Uh, it's one of those things you wake up and you know, there's something different or right. you wake up and it, it, it wakes you up. Like, I mean, this is like 20 plus years ago and I still remember vivid detail about these dreams. So um, is that was that something that was normal? As a stoner, I don't ever dream. I don't remember the uh, <laughs> whenever the last time I didn't have didn't smoke before I went to bed. That may have been the last time I dreamt, and I it was probably me dreaming about about having a joint. So um, was that typical for you to remember dreams, or was that so unusual, or was the dream just so different than a usual dream? That's what caught your attention. Um. I think it was a certain energy about the dream. I could remember dreams, but like not the entire things. Okay. Like you remember bits and pieces of a dream, like at the end of it. And then of course, the longer it waits, more it's, it's gone. Right. Or maybe just the most recent part of a dream. This is like powerful, like powerful enough that as soon as it was done, you're awake. Like it had a message. It was a purpose and you're awake. And like, you remember the dream in great detail and, you know, there's something about it. And of course it, it, it carries a story. Did you it's write down like anything, write down anything so that you, it would stay fresh in your memory? Were you afraid of losing that? Or was it just so powerful? It was ingrained in your mind at that point? Um, both actually. Okay. Um, I wrote it down and I had no idea what happened to it. I think when I joined the military, I probably lost all of that, but I had, I did write it down pretty, pretty soon after it happened. Uh huh. The first one, um, I mean, all right, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you about the dream, and you can see the, the biblical context of these things, right? 
you, know, you understand why I say that like they're powerful messages like just you don't have them um so in this first dream I remember just going about a typical day for some reason I was in the back of the car my mom and a friend in the front and there's some sort of weird disturbance get out of the car and of course mom friend car they're all gone I walk out and I walk to the edge of this cliff I remember there's this you know probably two foot stone wall boarding the cliff uh, the cliff overlooks the ocean, and I look up, and I see up in the air the disturbance, and it's three clouds, almost like as if three jets were passing extremely slowly and making their own little cloud formations out uh -huh. of it. So nothing going from right to left. And in the clouds, there was color like you couldn't imagine. I mean, beyond the visible rainbow. Um, and then music going along with it again that was unlike anything i ever heard and as i followed them going from right to left i looked off to the left and see the sun going over the water or going over the ocean and i see what looks like a dove flying into the sun and then the dove's wings get bigger and it looks more like an angel and then i turn to the right and see a whole bunch of angels fly past and then i look again and i see just one sitting there staring at me and that's where the dream ends to see this one angel staring at me um getting on like a close look at the entire face and everything and that was the last image that really just stuck with me it's like a month later that i looked in the mirror and i realized that the angel that i'd seen looked like an older version of myself really 40 or 50 yeah it took me like a month and i just looked in the mirror and like I started like to see the the resemblance. Like I, at first, I thought maybe it was myself. Maybe it was, maybe it's just an older version of myself. I don't know, but like that was the weird thing. It was after a month later. Whenever I saw that, it was after that that the second dream came, and then the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. And so it it, just, it was there was a long period between the first and the second, and then the the second through sixth came fairly quickly. Yeah, it was all within that summer. Okay, that first summer after and this is like. I think it was uh, fall when I had the prayer and it was like falling spring into the summer when I figured out the answer. And then you're going in through the summer that these dreams come And the second dream. I mean, again, it starts off at a friend's house, leave a friend's house, turn down the street, walk down the hill. And then we're typically down at the end of the hill. There's a T intersection and there's like tennis courts and, you know, there's you know, woods and everything. All that was broken away. So where the T intersection was, the entire like world was gone. And again, you have the ocean, right? So I walked down and I remember crawling to like the edge of this and looking out. And what I see now, I see two unicorns standing on the water. And they're rising up like, like they're slightly facing each other, uh -huh. rising up on their hind legs. They're like mirroring each other, like rising up, you know, together and whatnot. But they're standing on the water doing this. And I see that, and of course I look down, and I see through the the pavement itself to into the earth. I look, and I see, you know, it looks like an old man, an old alchemist workshop. Like it's literally what what image I'm seeing is like an old gray-haired man in in the earth that you would never even know is there. And I saw through the earth, and I could see him. And of course, that's when I woke up. And the message I got from that was that there are two unicorns, not just one, and that there are uh, 
that have seen the, I guess, the secrets of the earth. That's, so, and that was the second dream. Yeah. Okay. And then, how quickly did the third dream? So, how did you? What was the next morning like, or whenever you woke up from that dream? What was that like immediately afterwards? I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you exactly what it was like. Uh, I just remember like all these dreams. As soon as, as soon as like the last part of the dream was done, like waking up. Like there's no like you're lay around a little bit more and sleep like right. a minutes. Or, no, no, no. It's like up. Like it just like literally shot you up type feeling that type thing. Um, I don't know. I, I really couldn't tell you. Like I said, it's been like twenty years. Right. Uh, okay. Twenty plus years. So then uh, dream number three comes. What's in dream number three? Well, dream number three, this one starts getting a bit weirder if the first two weren't weird enough. <laughs> um, the, the second one did have unicorns in it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see where, where number three goes to. Well, I mean, the unicorn, I, I, I don't know. In some places they say it's reference to like a Christ type thing. Okay. And, you know, the Messiah, right? Like, and... Some places they say it is, and then some places it's just a unicorn. So, uh, you know, I'm just giving you my best interpretation of it. Okay, okay. You can interpret it however you like, or you can just call it a silly dream. Hey, whatever makes you feel better. I'm just telling you the story. By the time the story's done, you can decide whether right. you believe it or you don't believe it. So the, so, the yeah. third, so the third dream comes. What's going on in the third dream? Uh, I'm in a mall or something. Um, there's a lot of people everywhere, and then there's uh, I don't know a noise or something. And you look towards the the doors, like it's one of those mall doors where you have. This is back in the day when they're you know people like going to malls, right? Before they dried up and died. Um. So anyway, I'm at one of these malls, and I see outside the doors there's like a storm, and it's it's almost like black smoke surrounding the windows. Like the storm is so thick, it looks like black smoke all around the windows. And I walk towards the windows, and this storm, black smoke, whatever, starts to fade away or pull away. And as I walk out the doors, there, the smoke itself is going up into the air. And I see it like as if the entire cloud was moving away quickly into the sky. Then it like it was retreating like from dust. you. Yeah, yeah, okay. retreating through the sky, and then it like turns to dust, swirls around, and then hits me. Like comes down, hits me, and I remember the feeling of feeling overwhelmed, but stronger. I don't know, like how you, uh, how else you could describe that. Um, but then it was to the point that I couldn't even see. And I remember being basically out in the parking lot with a bunch of people staring at me while I'm like trying to stand back up, and I can't even see because whatever hit me just I don't know, overwhelmed me. Okay. But I didn't feel weaker because of it. It felt stronger. But you just lost your it, vision. I don't know if it was supposed to be it was like a permanent thing or more that it was a uh, just temporary because you, I don't know. Right. So if you just got hooked up to a bunch of jumper cables all at once, <laughs> that type of, that type of feeling. That okay. was, yeah. The fourth dream got even weirder, and that was walking down the street in the city. And uh, it's, there's construction going on everywhere. And was it guy, was any of this familiar? Like the city was that familiar? The mountainside was that something that you may have 
visited as a child or something, the Grand Canyon or something, but, or was this all brand new? I've never seen, never been here before done this. The only place that was familiar was in the second dream where I said I was leaving a friend's house, turned down the hill and where there used, where there's a T intersection and everything was broken away and it was the ocean. Right. That's the only place that's familiar. Okay. Like everything else, not familiar at all. Okay. So, okay. So this third dream, there is a, uh, there's a construction going on all over the city and walking through the street and I see up ahead of me, this man, I guess he has this pickaxe in some other man's head. Don't ask me how I got there. It looked like they were working, maybe an accident or maybe he got mad. I, I, I don't know. I, all I know is the man that was holding the pickaxe ran away and the man that has it in his head of course falls down dead okay and i walk up to him take the pickaxe out put my hand on his head and the other in his heart and i say tell me your sins and he opens his eyes that's it i like rub my hand through his hair and dude's like there he's back like i said he's back alive yeah okay now i mean I don't know if this is because I've been thinking about this so much at the time because of the whole, you know, all the interaction or what. I don't know. But that was a dream. That was a dream as I had it. And that was the end of it. Um, I can't tell you that when I said that, you could feel, and of course, in the dream, I don't know, something go through your hands. Other than that, I couldn't really give you much more detail about it. But um, anyway, that was the end of that dream. The uh, The next one, the fifth one, I remember it was like the entire tan landscape. Like everything just seemed tan. The sky, the landscape, everything. Okay. Um, and I'm seeing across and there's and walking around the bottom of it and there's people around. And there's a man up on the cross. And I remember trying to look at his face and I couldn't see it because it was blurry. As if, you know, if you're wearing glasses, you know the feeling when you take your glasses off and you can't see someone's face. Right. Well, it, it was like that. And of course, he said it's done, and you see this. You're, you know, if you take you know some water and you drop something, and you see a ripple. Yes. It's like a ripple erupting from him into the air around you, all the way into the sky. That was what it looked like. A ripple through the entire everything. Okay. Beneath him, as soon as he said that. Like I said, the story gets crazier, and the dreams get you know farther out. The last dream. I was standing on the edge of a beach, you know, the edge of the beach where the, the grass stops growing and it's just sand and then you have the water. Right. Yeah. I was at the point where the grass stops growing and I was looking off and there was something standing in the water and it looked like it had the head of a frog with horns, the body of a bear, claws, tail of a lion, like it was all these different things combined and I kept getting this feeling from it. Like a good feeling, a bad feeling, a good feeling, a bad feeling. Like it was trying to from the thing that from what you were visualizing, that's what you're the alternating feelings were coming from that thing. Yeah. Okay. Like it feel good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. Like it was, did it, it, was, it, was the bad also realized. scared or did it just bad? Like you felt like, icky dirt or was it like a scared like was it a good and scared or was it a like a, a bad like i just i don't like this feeling it's like being hungry or negative cold or negative vibe. okay of it at all. not scared, scared okay. of it all um 
but it was like there was the negative feeling coming from it. And it okay. was more of I was curious about it because, of course, during the dream, you know, you're staring at this thing, wondering what, what this is. Right. Um, Did it ever make and, a sound or am I jumping ahead? Did it ever talk to you? No, no, no. Just okay. the entire thing, the entire dream was literally staring at this thing standing. I was standing at, like I said, the edge of the beach where the grass is. He was in the edge of, or it was in the edge of the water and I'm staring at this thing and that's the, that's what I'm feeling. And it was later I read Revelation and like it talks about the beast and there's this, uh, I guess what's in the Bible is slightly different. Um, I think the biggest difference is the one I saw looked more like it had a head, like a toad okay. with horns, of course. But yeah, it's like the, the, the beast of Revelation, like staring at the thing. Um, and it gave you an alternating vibe between good and bad. Yeah, it felt more like he was trying to convince me that it was good, and then you would feel this bad. But it oh, tries okay. to convince you that it's good. Okay. But you feel like it's bad. That's that was my interpretation. But that's you know that's my interpretation. Right. But what I can say like I felt was kind of good and bad, right. and good and bad. My interpretation is that it's trying to convince you that it's good, but it's not. It's bad. So did you know as these dreams were going on that they were? connected in some way because of the feeling that you had when you awoke or were, was it because they were so vivid or memorable that that's, that's what you connected them or were they just so different that, that you connected the, these particular six dreams? They're vivid. They were emotional. You could feel them. You could okay. feel the energy. You could, you know, very clearly remember every detail you could, I mean, they woke you up like, uh, you know, you typically when I have a dream, and I remember doing this as a kid, you'd sleep in. If you just wanted to sleep in, you just roll over, you keep sleeping. Right. And the dreams, you know, go on. They morph and whatever. They turn into this. And it's usually random stuff. Like, it's usually, you know, it might be some theme, but, like, it's just, like, from random place to random place to random place. Like, there usually isn't any point to any of them. Right. Uh, these had points. They had stories. They... You know, it was quick, it was to its point, and it was done. Um, didn't really linger on anything else. And, of course, the the way it wakes you up afterwards, that was different. So, so after these six dreams, what was the next feeling, the next urge to, for, for action? What, what happened next after these six dreams? After the six dreams, there was years of confusion. <laughs> I suppose Literal years of confusion. Years of confusion, more of a, uh, a, a, for me, a lack of commitment towards anything because I, I feel like there's something coming. There's something I need to do. Exactly what and exactly when, I don't really know, but something is coming. Um, and I need to do something, but not knowing how, what, when, why, or anything like right. that really played into it so of course you know i went about life um while at the same time trying to figure out all this type of stuff like find, digging deeper into water being god and finding more and more supporting information and then having my own doubts and then having other people no 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 that's just crazy or right no no it says this and that and like you know going against naysayers and you know arguing and debating and like so did you so did you so, ever scream at God and go, at least you told Noah a flood was coming. <laughs> so he knew how to prepare. 
Because it sounds oh. like, you know, it sounds like very much a, a story that, you know, Noah knew something was coming and impending and that is hit at what he was, but he was given a, a direction of what to do, what to build, who to gather, things of that nature. Yeah. And it, it seems like, you know, you ha- had all this information, but didn't really know what to do with how, the, how those puzzle pieces went together. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And there was also a lot of um, asking for a sign. You know, asking for a sign that this is all real. Because, you know, you try to tell people this, and of course, I mean, honestly, you tell people the, the first two purposes, the beginning of the, the entire thing. Uh, I was given the purpose of revealing the truth about God and destroying the devil. They're like, oh, no, 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 that you don't have to do that. Jesus is going to do that. Right. And it's like, well, if you actually read Revelation, it says someone else, no, 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 that's Jesus. But it, it says, no, 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 that's Jesus. Like, that's basically what you're kind of dealing with, and so if you talk to anyone about it, the more you talk to them about it, the more you get into, no, 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 that's a messianic promise. Only the Messiah would do that, and that's what it ends up circling around, and of course, that's the biggest difficulty. You try just telling it all to anyone, and you have that roadblock because, of course, who are you? You can't do anything. You're just another guy, so... So now that you're just like Moses, maybe not 40 years, but you're you're spending some time in a figurative desert, um, not knowing what to do and, and how to fully process the information that you, you've seen so far. How long did that last and how did that come to an end? Was it something that it was like, wow, that was impressive that... You know, or did it just subtly start to fall together? I suppose it's been a long time trying to get a twitches and talk to them about it. Um, there's a lot of, I suppose you could say, trying to reach out to people and at the same time still learning what needs to be done. Because um, you talk about the devil part, I haven't even gotten, that, gotten into that yet. It's, right. There's still a lot of like learning, okay, what, are, what is it about the devil? What is about, okay, the devil is nothing more than a hollow metal. Okay, the first thing that comes to my mind is gold. Okay, how is gold, how is that the devil? And actually what I, what I found over time is like, I mean, gold has been the basis for a currency for, you know, however long. You look at I mean, most of the stuff that's wrong in the world, and of course, you know, it's mostly surrounding money and whatnot. Right. You look through the Bible Let's just say you go to Revelation, you go to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And people are always talking about Four Horsemen. You always get these nice little documentaries or you know, in a movie or this or that or the other. They love to mention the Four Horsemen. But if you actually read the entire thing to the end, it talks about there's a voice in the midst of the Four Horsemen. It says, a bag of, pe- a bag of wheat for a penny, two loaves of barley for a pound, see that I do not hurt the oil of the wine. So it says there's a sinister voice in the midst of the Four Horsemen, and this is what it's describing it as. And to me, that sounds that it's currency, it's money, it's trading. Right. Like the, the sinister voice that's leading death and despair in, in all four of its forms, it's our, it's our money. Which, of course, mirrors what I was told. You know, it's nothing more than hollow metal. That's what the devil is. And, of course, you look into the world right now, and our, our dollars, they're all based on gold. That's what founded it. That's what it started as. It's a fiat currency now, but the entire concept is still it was a gold standard, on, right? Yeah, 
And even today, I'm sure the countries still use gold backing mm -hmm. somehow, some way. They're not very clear on how they use it nowadays, or they don't really tell us everything. But it's still a, a major part of it. Correct. So when you look at what's going on in the world today, because of our currencies, we are you know, over-consuming over everything. We are destroying everything in our wake. And that's where you start to see that, you know, because of our, our money, we are actually starting to destroy the world. And it reminds me of being in church, them telling me so many times, oh, the devil wants to destroy the world. Or he wants to destroy God. We can't destroy God. So he wants to destroy God's creation, which is the world and man and everything else. And you start to see that that's actually the way it's happening. Um, so I guess what really happened was after a good decade or so of, you know, learning about what is wrong with the world and what the, the, the devil itself is doing. Um, I figured out that I needed a way for people to actually, you know, to actually help. What, what was the goal? How was I going to do this? And what I found was that, you know, no one's just going to believe you. You just go to church and say, hey, I'm supposed to be here to do this. I'm supposed to be here to tell you the truth about God. I'm supposed to be here. You know, they just think you're crazy. So no one's just going to believe you because, you know, no matter what. Um, so that's where I decided to build the foundation of a new world. That is to actually do something about the devil, I guess you suppose you say. So do you, do you want to tell, tell the listeners about the foundation of a new world? I know that you have four steps in your current or four phases and you're currently in phase one. Or are we too early to tell that? I, Oh, um, no, that's absolutely the world is a nonprofit that's built to, um, sorry, got a little lost there. The foundation of new world's purpose is to build a city for those in need and a system to, you know, prevent poverty and exploitation, promote freedom, liberty, and independence. Um, I'm sorry. Can I have a second? I got a little yeah. sidetracked here. Yes. No, yeah, give me one second. Let me drink some water here. Okay. Okay. Can we, uh, can we edit that? Yeah. Leave it. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. I'm just going to give me a mute mic way off track. Or, no, I mean, it's on track. It's just, it's been talking a lot. I know, yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's going to be the biggest change for my listeners. They're going to be like, oh, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Rose not talking very much. So that that'll be a big change for them. So, but I know that 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 you have been uh, going for for almost an hour now. But I I mean, I love where this is going, and that's why reading about uh, your your uh, nonprofit, the foundation of a new world, which is a foundation of the foundation. Is it the foundation of a new world.com? Yes. The foundation of a new world.com. And it talks about the phases that, uh, that you're looking for to make a physical impact here on earth. Almost like when they say, you know, uh, the, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So it, it sounds, and, it sounds by reading what you have planned that that that's kind of what you, have I understood that correctly? Did I read it correctly, or was I so stoned um, that I totally messed that up? 
Oh no, it's fine. Uh, what is it? I know they got the four phases as far as that's really the phases of the project as far as the funding and what steps that we'd be going to. Um, and then that is more of a uh, the initial construct of the Foundation New World as a company, um, expanding it, doing more of the planning for the project, and then of course the project phase, and that is the, the, the building of the city itself. And once the city is actually being built and the system is being built, that's more of a um, you get to actually see it in action and see if it's actually helping people to see if it actually makes it easier for people to live and survive and not work until you're 99 years old and then just kill over with a uh, debt up to your ears, you know. And what it, there have been maybe somewhat similar ideas of <clears throat> sounds almost like a utopian community. Um, yeah. So what do you think will be the biggest differ differentiator for you in this project going forward than maybe something that that's been thought of and 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 tried to be planned out before. All right. Well, the, the deal with the foundation in your world it isn't about just building a city for those in need. It's about the system. The system itself is what can change these things. Um, as far as I was talking about the devil and money and whatnot, I talk about that and the problems really start getting into poverty and climate change. Let's just say with poverty, what is the big thing with poverty and exploitation? I don't just mean the poor people on the street. I'm talking about everybody that works 40, 60 hours a week and still is up in debt to their eyeballs and they can't afford to even take a break. Right. You give them two weeks off at Christmas and they're like disappointed because they're going to be, you know, the, the, they, they can't even keep up with their bills because, right. you know, they can't afford a two week vacation. God forbid. Right. So what is it about that 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 makes it that allows it to happen and continues to happen? And the first part of it is that our currency, it's an arbitrary thing. You know, when you talk about the dollar or gold or even cryptocurrency, how much is your time worth? And if you look at what you get paid off, you you see the answer. And that what we're getting paid based off of is um, cost of living. How much do you need? Right. To get by oh well you can get by for the rest of your life just on this well we're gonna pay you just on that well you have really good experience so how about we give you a little bit more than what the cost of living is right and that's what you're getting paid based off of. and that and that is so, proven if you move to someone like when i moved from kansas city to tampa as a trainer with a, a company they gave me a huge cost of living increase, but that was ba that wasn't like a raise. That was basically saying if we kept your salary the same, you would be losing money there. So yeah, I I totally absolutely. get that. I I get that. I I, I am one hundred percent on board with that. That that this is a whole different rabbit hole for me to jump into. But yes, I I totally get what you're saying there about uh, we are working for what can we do to survive. So when you take like the money aspect of it, you know, you have that we're getting paid basically as little as possible. How much do you need to get by? Right. And then on the flip side, you get charged, well, as much as possible, as much as they can get away with charging you. Um, if they can't get away with charging you, they put it on sale. If they can get away with charging you more, well, they raise the prices. And that's pretty much where we are with as little as possible and as much as possible on, on the pay. 
And what does that do? That keeps us the workhorse where we're getting paid. We're getting paid as little as getting charged as much, and we have to work our entire lives to do it. Now you you start looking at that, and it creates job dependency. You know, when you can give people a thirty year loan, and you know, pay them as little as possible so they can afford it, and they can pay that off over their entire lifetime, then you're now job dependent your entire life. Right. So when you look at climate change, that's actually the first problem is job dependency. When it comes to climate change, um, you have a job-dependent society. I don't care what country you're in. Everyone's job-dependent, right? Right. Um, so if you were to actually make something better in the world, something that lasted longer, was more efficient, you're actually you know, going against your primary objective, and that is keeping the job-dependent people the jobs. You know, right. if you if you did something and all of a sudden there's no need for oil, there's no need for power plants, people could have their own little personal generator that used no fuel. Like, you know, a utopian, you know, power machine in everyone's house. Right? The perfect machine. Right. Well, guess what? Now you've done screwed up jobs. You have all kinds of, you know, economic woes because of this. So, you know, as a leader, society wise, you wouldn't want this to happen. It would be very, very bad. And on the flip side of it, you have a, a GDP-dependent problem. This really gets into the climate change issue. And I'll, I'll get to that in a second. With uh, GDP, for those of you out there who, you know, you hear about it all the time. You hear about a recession and depression and, you know, if our GDP is good or bad. Basically, here's the basic concept. Um, for gross domestic product production, you want to have 2% or more production every year than the year, the year before, at least, in order to show that your economy is healthy and growing. Right. Um, anything less than 2%. So if you have you know, either exactly the same amount of production as you did last year or between that and 2%, then you are in a recession. So you do exactly what you did last year, that's a recession. They consider it going backwards. Right. If you do less than what you did last year, that is a depression. So – if I were to build a house that lasted 100 years, or everyone built houses that lasted 100 years, and everything lasted, if I built phones that lasted more than two years, if I built cars that lasted longer, if I built anything that lasted longer, worked more efficiently, you didn't have to buy as much, well, now I threaten the GDP because next year we're not going to be able to sell that again. So when you look at that, you see that from top to bottom, you see that people are job dependent at their level. The companies, well, they just want more money. And the government, even if they're not being bought out or anything like that, they are dependent on making sure that people have jobs and that their GDP doesn't, you know, go in the toilet. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, so, it, it, you know, an interesting side note that people can research is the longest running light bulb. It's been going for over 100 years at a fire station, I believe, in Massachusetts, somewhere in the nor northeast. But that, that same bulb's been going for over 100 years, and they, you can go back and hear about how the companies came together and said, well, we can't do that because no one will ever buy another fucking light bulb again. So they limited the number of hours that light bulbs, they all came together in collusion and came together for something like that because... They they can't do that. Just like you said, it would show them being in a recession or worse. Yeah. So you have companies that are greedy, and then you have, of course, the country. It's like, oh, well, we need jobs, so let the companies be greedy. 
Right. You know, why 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 not, you know why stand in why their way? To, yeah, why do we want to stand in their way if it means our economy will suffer and our people will suffer? Well, right now our planet is suffering because on all levels we are literally extinguishing everything. We are using every resource, polluting everything in sight, all to feed an econ economic situation that is unfeedable. It will only continue to grow, which means we're it won't stop until everything is consumed. Now right. you see why the voice told me the devil is nothing more than a hollow metal for all his promises are as hollow and it is. When you see gold, it offers so much promise. And when you look at what we have because of it, we have death and destruction on every level. We have a world economy that is literally just trying to get us to consume the entire world. Uncaring. Feed it. Doesn't care. Need more next year. Yeah. Oh, the house? No, don't make it to last. Make it fail because you need to do it again next year and so on and so on and so on. And then, of course, we are working ourselves to death so that we can get cancer. And, of course, you know, we need to feed that GDP machine and um, any life savings that you have. You need to just go ahead and uh, pump that into your veins so that you can uh, keep feeding the GDP machine up until the point of your death, at, at which point your family will have to bury you and that will feed it some more. Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things that I always lament uh, also is that, you know, healthcare in the United States is you have to have a job to have healthcare, basically. And, you know, yeah. you were talking about job dependency. That's one of the things that, you know, they're for, you know, there, I believe that there are a lot of creative people out there that would be doing vastly different careers if they weren't forced to go into corporate America so that they could have health insurance. That if, if somehow that was supplied to them, that they may be, we may have a more creative society. We have a, a society where people are, are finding fulfillment. One of the things you were talking about how, you know, we, we everyone's needing in the society, they want more, 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 what's the next thing? It's also has created an atmosphere where people will look negatively towards you if you downsize your home because you you're be, don't need that much anymore if you downsize your job which I did I used to have a job that uh, caused me great grief and I made a lot of money but now that I make <laughs> literally like a third of what I used to make I'm happy be I mean I love the people that I work with compared you know and, it, and it's all this thing but you know when, when people they think there's something well what happened and it's like I, I wanted to be happy and they're like yeah, but why? I mean, well, it is like because I hated my fucking job. That's why. I mean, I mean, you know, but but you you get that negative where you know it's almost like you have the peer pressure to to do more and buy more and be more in debt. You know, I have a I have a, a Lexus SUV which sounds very impressive until I tell everyone it's a two thousand four, and I hope it. La I thought I lost it a few weeks ago. We thought that it had blown a head gasket. And it hadn't. It was just the radiator. So it was still 800 bucks. but I was excited because I love not having a car payment. I love having, in Kansas, you have you pay your property taxes on your on your tags for your car. So because it's so old, that's almost next to nothing. I don't need that. And, and so I, I am a big believer that, uh, that money is, and the gold standard negatively impacts people and societies.
So, and, and I, and I do, I do get with the, and I do understand the impact on climate change too. I probably don't and haven't recently tied them together as much. Um, I always joke that I used to be concerned about the climate, but I was never concerned about our national debt because I was like, well, I'm not going to be around when that's, you know, when that gets paid off. So I'm not overly concerned. But then I, I started thinking about it. Well, I'm not going to be around, you know, it, it, when we destroy our planet here. So I really, if I'm going to care about the planet long term after I'm gone, then I probably should care about us or the financial health of our country as well. Because we do need the, no matter what issues we have in this country, we, this is still one of the greatest places on earth. So, um, there's a lot to be desired. And if you get to phase four, that's going to be a huge step forward for this society. I will tell you that. But so what, what is your part in making the difference and in, in slaying this beast? Well, I think the, the thing is to correctly address and change the, the issues that we're having. That's, um, that's why I designed the hour. Um, because you, you talked about how the, how the money, the one because it's arbitrary, it allows you to exploit it easily. Right. Right. Keeping you poor and keeping other people rich, and then of course the GDP aspect of it really pushes countries to, you know, turn a blind eye while we're just manufacturing goods to be thrown away constantly. Right. So you know, and it's so weird because. I'm 55. I even remember in the 70s when my parents first started buying foreign-made cars. The first one was a Volkswagen Rabbit, I think, and then there was some Toyota. And I remember them complaining about American cars. They go, well, they'll rust in three to four years so that you have to buy a new one every three to four years. And I remember my my parent who my parents were not cynical. I don't rem- I don't. Well, now that I start saying all this stuff that they used to say, maybe they were more cynical than I thought. But I, I mean, I never thought of them as cynical, but I always thought I was like, wow, because they they seem to be very anti. Well, you don't want toys from Hong Kong because that was uh, back in the 70s. That's where a lot of toys because they'll break too easy and things like this. And they were so pro-American. And I know that it was just so vastly different with the car. But it. You know, it's true. I mean, if you still look at American-made trucks, they rust out in the same exact place so that you have to buy a new one or, worst-case scenario, be dumping a lot of money into an old car to keep it on the road. Yeah, that actually made me think about uh, one more problem with the GDP system. Um, talking about, you know, the foreign stuff and the American stuff. And, you know, you hear quite often a lot of people like, oh, 100% American-made. It's- when you actually learn some details about the GDP system, you kind of see why they haven't been doing that. Um, like here, here's one one tidbit of information, and this was the example that I had actually read. It was about a pair of shoes. Let's just say if you manufacture a pair of shoes here in America, you manufacture the leather, the rubber, or the shoelaces, everything, right? And you sell the shoe. You get GDP credit for selling the shoe, right? How much that shoe costs? Hundred dollars, whatever. Right. So. If you have the leather manufactured in China and all the parts manufactured in some other country, well, the other country gets GDP credit for the parts, and then you get GDP credit for selling the shoe. So it becomes more profitable to take and ship things around the planet in circles. 
I mean, I literally saw something where it was uh, fruit from somewhere in South America that was shipped, packaged in like Thailand or something, and then sold, you know, here in the United States. It's like we've literally, they took a, a ship with fresh fruit and they took it all the way to the other side of the planet to package it. And then they shipped it again all the way back here. Like you know, the damage that we're doing to the environment just to shift things around in circles, right? To to appease this this crazy like GDP system that we've we've designed. And do you know, and like, like for instance, how often things that we make and ship, you know, like if we're an exporter of wheat and we send it to a country, I'm like, you know, that country doesn't seem that dissimilar from parts of the United States. Could they not grow their own wheat? You know, so, it, it, I mean, is it almost penalizing countries to grow domestically and then also sell domestically? Is that what you're saying? Um, not so much. It's more of a... Or is it just not economically like feasible? Because costs like are more... You can literally say that your your country made more money. Let's just say if you sell the, the original product to another place and they package it for you and they send it back and then you sell it, like you, you get double sales. You're, you're basically by shipping it around the world, like all you countries together can claim GDP credit and help yourselves out. But really you're just like burning oil back and forth because it's like what 33,000 gallons to 66,000 gallons a day for these tankers to go back and forth. Like – like 33,000, and that's if they're running slow, up to like 66,000 gallons. Like they have a fuel tank that holds a million gallons, so that's how much they're burning. To go around circles just to, just to say, oh, well, you know what? We can share our GDP. We can increase our GDP if we work together. So, you know, instead of me manufacturing my own shoes here and selling my own shoes here, I'm just going to take your leather, and you're just going to ship your leather all the way over here, and then I'll ship my stuff way over there. And we'll just ship it back and forth, and we'll we'll raise our GDP score together. You know, we're we're playing a game, destroying the environment for numbers on the wall. And why do you think that is? Is that making someone rich? Is it just that's the way the system was set up, and no one's brave enough to break the system? Why do you think that is? I would say probably a little bit of both, and then not really accepting that there's a problem there. And then, of course, you have the people who are getting rich who don't really want to talk about the climate and pretend that it doesn't exist or can't be you know, destroyed or hurt or anything like that because that would, might interfere with their stuff. And then some people not really knowing anything to do. I mean, people have always said the money, money is real valuable. Right. But when you say that, it's almost like a comedic thing in a way to blow it off. Because, but it's, oh, the love of, it's the love of money that's the root of all guess, evil. Yeah, there's that too. There's that. But like people i guess write it off as there's nothing you can do about it right right who who would ever think of a solution to money because any solutions to money usually sound like 70s stuff oh we're just gonna not have money and we're gonna trade with each other fairly like how do you do that oh right. well we'll just you know they'll bake and then that person you know you heard a lot of those types of things and I, I guess coming out of like hippie culture and whatnot oh yeah we'll just have a small community we'll just trade fairly it's like okay but how do you do that and that is the real question that they just haven't answered. And that's what I hope that I found with the hour. And I want to get a chance to prove by, of course, building a small scale city and putting into action. 
right. Versus, of course, the have you have producer. you been able well, to run, or is there a way to run any type of small scale or virtual simulation of what you're wanting to do to to see any pitfalls that you may not have have thought of or benefits that you had not anticipated? Have you been able to do anything like that? That's a very good question and answer. Uh, going through verbatim, word for word, uh, basically the, the, the economic design is a system of rules designed to protect you from exploitation when it comes to financial matters. And going over every aspect of the wording and looking for, okay, um, if you're trying to take advantage of this and you're trying to get around this so that you can you know, overcharge people and right. not have them figure out that you're doing it, how would you do it? And going through that again and again and again, like I said, it's more of a wordplay, looking over the words, figuring out what can be done with it until you actually put it into you know play and see what people do. You know, they say, what is it? Uh, even the best plans of war will only last until they see war. Yeah. Or until they see combat. Yeah. So it's, it, I, I really do not know of any further way other than bringing more people into the fold and seeing, okay, what would you do if you're trying to take advantage? How right. would you get away with it? See, and that's one thing that I've always thought about people that are so into capitalism. It's like you do understand that capitalism is set up to charge you the most that they can get away with. Just like you said, if they have to put something on sale, they will. But if they can raise the price, they'll definitely do that as well. Like gas. That's what drives me insane when people get, you know, they love capitalism. But if gas goes above three fifty a gallon, they want to shit a brick. And it's like, you can't have it both ways. Are you a capitalist? Oh, yeah. Shut up about gas. I mean, and, and, but, you know, why? why wouldn't someone be a champion of we want to pay the least amount that we have to pay while making sure that people are treated humanely or ethically in, in the jobs that they do. And there's, yeah, like I say, that, that's a big sticking point with me. Jobs are a, in the economic climate, at least of the United States, because I live in the United States, so I know our system the best, or just frustrating it at best. Very frustrating at best. Yeah. Um, I guess when you get into the, the capitalist aspect of it, like, you know, you know ca- capitalism is like too capitalized. Like, it means you're trying to get the most out of it. You're trying to pretty much take over. Um, but when you talk about anything other than, I mean, a lot of people respond really negatively. And of course, it really in this country, it goes back to Russia versus America. It's communism versus capitalism. Like anything that isn't capitalism becomes communism or socialism. Right. Yep. And that's one of the aspects with the hour is that it's, it's, it's writing that line that's neither. It allows, it's a, this is designed to prevent you from exploiting someone else by allowing you to charge what you want, but you have to show the truth in the transaction. Um, for example, you get get a chance to really go into the hour and what it, how it's designed to work to protect you from being exploited. First, it's an hour. How I spoke earlier about a dollar or gold or cryptocurrency, it's all arbitrary. You end up getting paid based off what you need to live. Right. Right. With the hour, well, you actually have a true system of measurement now. What should you get paid an hour? 
well, somewhere in the ballpark of an hour. You could argue more or less, depending on your skills, your the type of job you're doing, and so on and so forth. But now you actually have a true starting point that's designed to hold over the years. Because you start inflating the hour, and you're getting 80 hours an hour, where you definitely know something's wrong and someone screwed up along the way. Right. So the idea is that you stay at an hour an hour, and you shouldn't be – well, I mean, within reason, of course. You know, you don't want the doctors and the janitors getting paid the same thing. Who, who would want that? Right. You know, why would you even bother? But you have that true measurable starting point that you can, of course, go from that's supposed to hold itself. Now, the second part of it is the system of rules. Uh, there's eight rules. It's the first three that really tie together and set up the circle. The rest are really just to support those three. So the first rule is um, you don't pay less than half an hour an hour, right? It's minimum wage. Okay. Typical thing. Nothing that we're not used to, right? Right. The second rule is that anything over three hours per hour is considered part of a company's profit. So let's just say if you're the owner of the company or you have some guys you want to hire and you want, you know, top guys or whatever, you can pay them whatever you want. But you can't turn around and pay yourself 100 hours an hour and then turn around and say, oh, the company isn't making a profit. Right. No, no, no. It, the company's turning a profit. It's just all in your pocket. Right. Whether you're the CEO or the owner, whatever you are, you know, it's all in your pocket. There, there's a profit being made. You have it all. So that's why that rule is. Now, the third rule, that's really what ties it together and basically starts to form a circle to curb greed. And that is that the cost of a product or service before accumulated profit from raw material finished product has to be listed next to the price. So let's just say if you're going to buy a home, and it's really what it's for is the bigger ticket items, but it would be, of course, something that has to apply to everything. But let's just say you're going to buy a home. Right now, you are told the market value of the area. That that that's it. Right. You know, oh well it's all this like five years ago, but now it's like a hundred thousand dollars more because well a whole bunch of people bought it for more money. So you're you're kind of stuck with that. Right. Um and you can try to negotiate based off that, but but it's the comps. It's a, area, they they always call it pulling the comps. So they pull the area comps and they go, this is what the house is, is worth. Yeah. Or what they're selling for, depending on who, if you're the buyer or seller. Yeah. So well, what is that doing to us? It's just keeping us to where we're working forever just to have a roof over our head. Even the place is old and deteriorating or, you know, long past its age. Or let's just say what this rule is actually, or what the system of rules is actually designed to do is to show that house costs 50 grand to make. The land costs this much. They're selling it for like, you know, $450,000. You know, that is what it's designed to do is to show that cost versus the price. Right. And to try to push the actual price that people pay closer to the cost. And what you'll get is you will get that it will get closer to that cost and people will suffer less for it. People won't be you know living in a house they can barely afford and then of course they're homeless after 20 years of paying on this thing they've lost their house because they can't pay off the last 10 years or, or whatever happened or you go to get medical treatment you would have the same thing you would actually see the cost before profit of what that product or service that you got from the hospital is and people are a lot less likely to go to government and say hey we want free health care instead they're more likely to go and say this is ridiculous they're charging 10 times more than what it you know, everything is right. 
You know, it, it says right there in the paper, it was, you know, that, that service, and this would include all the overhead, the hospital staff, everything. That service is, you know, a tenth or a fifth or a third, whatever it is. I'm charging, I'm getting charged $6,000 for a $1,000 treatment. Right. Uh, I'm not going to get sick and die and have to, you know, someone profiteering off of me while I'm, while I'm doing it. That is what the system is designed to do. And that addresses, of course, the first problem that I talked about, which is child dependency. The second problem is GDP dependency, the backside of the hour deals with. And it's a just a remeasuring of how to measure a healthy currency versus a unhealthy one. So, and how did you, are these, no, because I have not heard of some of these particular types of, I guess, economic uh, styles. Uh, I I don't even know what to call them. So is this something you've developed? Is this something that you, you've researched and, and modified in other way? How did you, how's this, plan uh been evolved like everything about the hour and the problems i'm talking about it's right. somewhere along the line okay it just piece by piece by piece it all started to come together and this actually goes back into you know the original part with the prayer and everything and the biblical context of it because when i talk about the hour what it does between the fact that it's an hour and between the, the how it remeasures the currency it's evaluation of life so when you get into it and you actually look at it, should I be successful and actually build this city and show that this system works, iron out any details that need to be ironed out, show that the system works, show that you will be freer, more liberated and safer under this, that you can actually live your life like you're talking about pursuing dreams that actually get, give you happiness as opposed to simple money. Right. You will literally have a choice between the currencies that we have and that currency, which are the image of, you have the currencies that we have, they're an image of gold or the currency that I'm trying to make that is in the image of life. Right. Like that is literally the choice I'm trying to bring. Like that's the only way I know to try to help the world. And that is what somehow along the way I picked up. And from as far as I can tell, that's his plan. So as crazy as it sounds, and it does, I mean, it is, it's, it, it, there's a lot of thought into it. It's a well-constructed plan. Um, I think the biggest thing is it's different. I mean, and, and that's, and I mentioned it earlier, you know, early is wrong. Different is also wrong. I mean, different, different, oh, scary, you know, Oh, people want change. People but, want change. Yeah. But then of course you mentioned anything different. Oh no, different's bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I was a trainer, and for a long time, people would be like, "You'd be like, how's your best learning?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm really hands-on." I'm like, "Let's great, let's role play." And they're like, "Oh no, 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 I don't want to role play." And it's like, "But you just said hands-on. Let's one or the other." So yeah, so sometimes they don't always know what they're, you know. I want the change. Okay, let's do this different. Oh no, 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 that's too different. Let's just keep things the way they should be. Uh, so Christopher, what's the next step for you? What, what does tomorrow, what's your, when you wake up tomorrow, what, what's your push on this for tomorrow? Um, right now and tomorrow, what the push has been, been going for is to find that way that I get the ear of people, the ears, the eyes to get people to start hearing it, to get this message, to get viral, to get people to have heard about the foundation of the world. 
to donate to it, to support it, and for that hope to grow in order for people to actually recognize it and donate to it so that we can actually build this. And it's something and that, prove it. you know, people can start living into this without it being a creation yet. They can start, uh, you know, trying to do as much as they can in their current lives to, to, to help get them ready for a day that may come like this. So, okay. Christopher no, Allen Ellingsworth. What, what? I'm sorry. I cut you off there. Oh, no. Um, I was saying it's it, it, it's a difficult process, and it's definitely going to be uh, one of those things that you have to prove to the world that it works, and then right. of course get the world to decide whether or not they will take it. And it, it's it, it will be a process, and there's plenty more to the story if you ever want to take the time to talk us more about it. I do. Um, I I I very much do. I have been very appreciative of your time today. Um, and like I said, I am open and I, I, I'm glad that I am open. I mean, I feel like I am because I, I was able to appreciate this story. I don't, this is one of those things where I have to gestate on it. I have to think about it, but there, that's the, the thing that I do like is that the, all the thought process, all the decision-making process seems to be sound, which means Conclusions, whether I agree with them or not, are, are, are generally sound as well. So um, I, I very much appreciate your time. Uh, I would like to talk to you again sometime in the future because I don't think we ever... So did we ever finish? How do we vanquish the devil then? Is that just changing the monetary system and and becoming a society where there is no explo- exploitation, monetary, physically, or otherwise? What? I suppose. Um, honestly, you know, there's always been that cross between, you know, but it's, when you first hear, oh, to destroy the devil, you think about like Satan, Lucifer type right. stuff. Well, Lucifer actually means shining one. And like there's all these things in the Bible about describing the devil. And it's like he covers himself with gold or with gems and precious things and stuff, right? Right. Well, that's actually a description of gold. And so it's always been a question of you just trying to de- destroy like satan or is it the devil the great evil of our time and our right. world and that seems to be more of the case here that seems to be more of the case that it's really the greatest evil in our world and to stop it we have to stop this system that is i mean it's right now the oceans they say the uh the acidity level in the oceans have been climbing I mean, if anyone has a fish tank out there, ever had a fish tank, I had one when I was a kid. You put those little strips in there, and it says the acidity is going this way, or the pH balance is just out of whack, your fish are going to die. Well, the ocean's pH balance is getting more and more out of whack. That is a lot of death that, I mean, there's effects that it'll have on land like we really don't know about. Right. But there's there's a lot of stuff coming, and it's not stopping. Um, Give you one quick little example. Uh, before we go ahead and end today, just to give you an example of what it is that I'm really talking about. If you wanted to make cut down um, pollution, a simple thing you could do, you take the alternator for a vehicle and you standardize that every vehicle between, let's just say, 2020 and 2030 has to come with an alternator that will bolt up, plug in, and the wheel will fit for the, the belt. Right. 
to every car that's a four-cylinder car. They're all pumping out right about the same amount of energy. You can make them, you know, different. You can make yours a higher standard, lower standard, whatever. But they all have to bolt and plug in. What would you be saving by doing that? A lot. Right. Imagine every auto parts store out there. They wouldn't have to stock 200 alternators for that 10-year period of time. Right. They'd have to stock one alternator, one type of alternator for that 10-year period of time. They wouldn't have to create as many, some of which won't even be used, or so many that would just get thrown away. And the ones that would get thrown away would be less likely to be thrown away because they'll just refurbish them because they're high in demand. Think alternators that are low in demand, they just get thrown away. Once right. they're high in demand, they're going to get refurbished and reused again and again and again. Right. And they're everything about it. So it will actually – it will mean less pollution because you're manufacturing less goods. You're using more of those goods more often. And it will make it less costly because there's so many of them out there that all fit into those cars – you'll have a, a much higher surplus. They're going to become cheaper for the customer. The auto parts stores won't have to stock as much. They won't have to keep as much in that distribution warehouse down the street that they have to deliver from and so on and so forth. They won't have to pay as many delivery guys because now you've cut down the amount of alternators and so on and so forth. So their overhead for the entire auto parts store is now lowered. The amount of pollution from shipping alternators back and forth all over the world has been lowered. Your price in the alternator has been lowered. But guess what? You've just cost jobs and GDP. Right. I mean, yeah. do you want to be the president that does that? No. No, they don't. One of my big things uh, that I will finish with, I have said, you know, I, I think that we'll uh, you, eventually we'll have to have a universal basic income of a, some sort. And I think one of the biggest things right now is companies want our information. And so I don't understand why they don't pay us for that. You know, a basic, you know, if you want my my name, it's this amount of money. If you want my name and phone number, it's this amount of money. Because if they lose my information, I'm the one that goes through the headaches of having to to you know fight that someone stole my identity. So why why would they why should they be able to make money off that? I mean that's one of my little gripes because I you know when you were talking about people losing their jobs, it shouldn't be seen as a negative like people are like oh well those people are out of work they need to get a job it shouldn't be seen as a negative that something more efficient and better for the planet better for the economy better for you as an individual put someone out of a job that should be seen as a plus but somehow those people that are out of a job need to be retooled recompensated something needs to go on well the idea of the foundation of the world um it's not so much supportive of universal income, but it's more supportive of, let's just say, if these rules in this system were to go into place, that the average person could pay off their home in seven to 10 years as opposed to 30, 20 to 30, right. or never. Um, you know, I mean, how many people in America even get a chance to buy a home? Most, right. a lot of them don't. Right. So that's more the goal of the foundation of your world that you could enter a state of early retirement by your 30s. Not even need to work as much. Maybe working half the year, and if you just want to enjoy the other half of your year, right? Because your your work gets you money that you know you don't need to spend ninety percent of it on your basic bills. You don't need to spend it all on your your rent or your mortgage. You right. can actually pay that off fairly quickly and enjoy your life. Right. Go camping for a month. And that's where I mean, you'd have to reprogram. I mean, yeah, you, that's listening has been camping for a month. 
who would like to? I'm sure a lot of people would like to. Very few have ever gotten a chance right. to go camping for the month. Yeah. And if you told work Sorry, that, I mean, if you told work that now, everyone would think you were crazy. Well, you don't care about your job. No, I really care about my job the six months that I'm here, but now I'm going to take six months off and do what I want to do. But you, you get looked at as being crazy for being an individual, being economically different than everyone else. So there's a lot of things. So Christopher, uh, your website, I was just going to say your website once again is the foundation of a new world.com. Um, yes, sir. I, I really appreciate you being on and talking uh, to me about this. This is plenty for me to digest uh, and, and listen to. So I, I appreciate all the information and the time. I know that you did a majority of the time speaking here. I'm sure that I will hear from some of my regular listeners about they'll probably prefer the lack of my voice. So congratulations <laughs> for you for uh, taking a, a majority of the time. But for everyone listening, it's Christopher Allen Ellingsworth. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you Ray, for having me. You're welcome. We look forward to a part two sometime. That would be great. So for everyone else, thanks for listening to the podcast. My name's Ro. I'm the Stone Genius. I'll talk to y'all soon. Thank <laughs> you.